Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back. Happy Friday. The Denver Nuggets have an opportunity to do something they've never done before, and that is claim a third win in any finals, ABA, NBA, or otherwise. Joining us now to talk about it is the lead Nuggets writer for Mile High Sports and the head of the uh, Pickaxe and Roll podcast. You can catch that at uh, Mile High Sports on YouTube all over the place. It's a terrific podcast. I really puts in the work. Ryan Blackburn joins us. NBA Blackburn is the handle on Twitter. Uh, Ryan, thank you for joining us. Earlier today, you wrote a story on Miley Sports about the matchups and the battlegrounds in this game four. Obviously, people can go find that. But if, if you're looking at the first thing that you want to think about, uh, what is it, especially in regard, and I want to bring up two people in particular, that need to bounce back. Uh, Bruce Brown, who has been good, but wasn't good in Game 3. And Michael Porter Jr., who's been kind of a mess ever since Game 1 when he led the team in plus-minus. Yeah, so I think I think the most important thing when thinking about Game 3 uh, was Denver got as much production from Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray as they're probably ever going to get. Uh, you have 10, 10 assists for each of them. You have, I think, 66 points between the two of them. There, there's just a lot there for those two guys and, and Denver was able to win. They're able to win with those guys and their defense, but they didn't get a lot from anybody else. Uh, Christian Brown really stepped up in the moment and Aaron Gordon found some, some footing in the, in the second half, but mostly it was just those two. And and that can't happen in game four. I I think if you're Miami, you're hoping that the the game plan kind of goes exactly as it did in game three because they're going to shoot better. Miami will shoot better than what they did. They're going to create some some additional shots, and I think they feel like they can adjust to the way the Nuggets were playing in game three and then try to cut off some of those looks for Murray and Jokic if they can. Uh, but the other thing, as, as you mentioned, Bruce Brown, Michael Porter Jr., those two guys haven't played well. They, they haven't been perfect in this one, and Bruce is always going to be on the floor because of his defense. He's always going to find ways there. Michael Porter, I thought he found some good things in the third quarter of this last game, but they still did not close with him. Uh, They're going to have to make shots. They're going to have to space the floor. They're going to have to take some pressure off of Murray and Jokic, or else this is probably coming back 2-2. Yeah, the thing, though, that I look at, and I throw uh, Caldwell Pope into that mix uh, as well. He's had five field goals in three games. He's two for nine on threes. Uh, I think he's someone, if they could get him into uh, a little bit of rhythm, uh, perhaps you get three or four threes out of him, uh, which uh, which would be nice. Uh, I, I think three of the five starters uh, have been generally 
good in this series, and two of them were spectacular the other night. I thought Gordon was very underrated. You look at the people Gordon has guarded throughout the playoffs. It's uh, remarkable, but uh, the, the contrast for me is that Miami's looking for a star. Denver's had two superstars. Denver's had the two best players in the series, and if Murray and Jokic continue to be the two best players on the floor, it really doesn't matter what kind of magic Miami has, or even if they find an X-factor player off their bench, it, it doesn't matter if their best players are only the third and fourth best players in the series. They have no chance, at least to win the series. I won't say they can't win a single game like the one tonight, but to win the series, they've got to find a star, and the closest thing they've had to a star in this series is Adebayo, who's been dramatically outplayed by Jokic. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I think if you look at the star battles, you look at the star comparisons, it's, there really is no comparison with the way that Denver has, has played and the way that Miami's role players have stepped up for their stars in a lot of ways. And Adebayo, despite the fact that he's making some jumpers, like he's doing some good things. He's not finishing around the rim very well. He's not finishing in the paint really well. I think the, the number that I pulled today, I'm pretty sure, was 43% in the paint, which uh, that that's on the series, by the way, over those three games, which that's a, that's a lower number than what you're hoping for from the field, let alone from the paint for, for one of your stars. So they're going to need more. They're going to need more from him. They're going to need more from Jimmy Butler. And I, I think there's credence to the idea that Jimmy's a little hurt, that he's a little banged up, that something's going on that they're not publicizing right now because it's the finals and they're trying to gain as many competitive advantages as they can. Uh, but he has not played great. Aaron Gordon has matched up with him extremely well. As you mentioned, he's taken on as many difficult assignments as anybody in the playoffs. And he's done a great job with it while also finding ways to contribute offensively. Uh, but yeah, if, if, if you're not going to get the elite elite shooting from uh, all of your role players, whether it's uh, Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson, uh, Max Struess, all of the guys, if you're not going to get it from them, then you have to have your stars step up, and they just haven't been as efficient as they need to be in this series. Now, when you look at the huge variability in shooting, I think that's a good point. Let's go to that, because the Heat have dealt with this wide variability in shooting threes, and they're sort of uh, they're hitting their threes, they win. They don't hit their threes, they're not winning. And nevertheless, here they are in the NBA Finals. So they have found a way to overcome that, that sort of wild variability from game to game. Now, the Nuggets have something to say about that, obviously. But uh, if the shots aren't falling for the Heat, if they are, I think we've seen what happens. If they're not, what can Eric Spolstra do that he hasn't yet done? Because as we watch the Nuggets, they don't need to get in a three-point battle with them. They only had five last game and only one in the second half, and yet still won the third and fourth quarters. So if you're Eric Spolstra, put on the sort of the opposition's uh, hat for a minute there. I know he doesn't wear hats. He has fabulous hair. But nevertheless, <laughs> what do you do if the shots aren't falling early for the Heat? Well, you got to attack Jokic. You've got to attack the rim. You've got to get guys into foul trouble. And that's one thing that Denver really hasn't dealt in this series with, knock on wood. Uh, you've got to find ways to keep Jokic out of foul trouble. If you're Denver, Aaron Gordon out of foul trouble. With those guys on the floor, floor Denver's rim protection has been really, really good 
which is just not something you would have expected at the beginning of the series. But Jokic has been as engaged on that end and as effective on that end as, as he really ever has been. And it's led to Denver protecting the easy shots around the rim and teams are going to make the floaters. They're going to make the tough shots. Uh, sometimes there's stuff that Jokic can't really contest. Uh, and, and Miami's going to have to hit those at a really high clip, kind of like the Phoenix Suns were doing in the second round in order to make that a difference. But honestly, uh, Jimmy Butler is not Devin Booker. Uh, he's not Kevin Durant. He's not going to be a mid range assassin against a team like Denver. And so what he has to do is create shots for other guys or get all the way to the rim and finish. And he's done like he's done the former uh, while they're shooting well. But if they don't shoot well, he hasn't really done the latter either. So there, there's a lot that Miami has to overcome on that end. When, when Denver holds the team to 93 points in the first game and 94 points in the third game, uh, they have a lot of questions to answer on the offensive end. We were talking about that earlier, that I, I think Miami maxed out offensively in game two at 111. Uh, I don't even see them getting anywhere near that total again. Uh, they, they're going to have to win, you know, 103, 100, 99, 95. And I think the nugget floor seems right around 105, 106, or maybe 104, the, the point total they got in game one, and that was with just 20 in the fourth quarter. It, it, it There comes a point in a series where reality sets in, and I'm wondering if uh, it, it's hard to tell with Miami because they're so professional and they're so relentless uh, in uh, the maintenance of their culture, but have you noticed a difference between – the Miami team that existed between games two and three and the one with just one day between games that exists between games three and four. Have you noticed any signs of discouragement or uh, even a sense of concession or the realization that if it's a straight-up basketball game, they can't win it, that they're deficient in too many areas, or they're just simply too small? and not strong enough to compete with the Nuggets. Well, you you mentioned that every every team kind of has that moment of realization. Yeah. It has not come yet for, for Miami. I, I still think that they believe that they can win this series. They believe in Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler has an emphatic belief in himself and his teammates, and that's always going to carry them through. Uh, but they haven't seen Jimmy play well in a while. Yes, and that, that's offensively. Going to be, yeah. That's going to be a massive impact, I, th- I think, for for the psyche if he doesn't play well again in Game Four. Now he's capable, and and I, I don't think anybody would sneeze at him having a thirty-five or forty-point game against Denver, despite the fact that uh, just the way that things are are panning out, it doesn't really seem likely right now. But uh, I do think that one thing that you're noticing from Miami is that how much attitude they had on the way to this. Uh, NBA Finals, yes. <laughs> they're not like attacking Grant Williams and they're not like they're yeah, not making right. fun of the opposing team right now. And I think you do that when you feel like you're in a position of strength and you have a position of power that, that you can hold over the opposing team or an opposing player. And Denver's just more mentally tough than all of these other teams that they've faced. They're more prepared. They're also more talented. All of these things 
I think, really, really go in their favor. And they just weren't going to be rattled if they saw Jimmy Butler make a few shots in a row or, or make or see Duncan Robinson hit a couple of crazy threes. Like, it's not going to not going to rattle Denver they've seen all of this stuff so they're going to be okay and and I think that Miami knows that and they know that they're in for a wild tough ride and maybe that eventually affects them even heading into tonight we're talking with Ryan Blackman of Miley Sports and I I think that point is good because I I noted the faraway stare after game three that both the Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo had in their press conference and these are confidence guys and they are not going to roll over there's no chance they'll roll over but that to me that that body language that look is the understanding like we are in some trouble here and they they know I think what they're facing Uh, they're not going to back off or roll over but they understand the Change that I thought was interesting. Michael Malone, who came after his team hard after the, uh, the the game one win, who certainly was even more so after game two, kind of got kinder, gentler Michael Malone at, in game three, not only after the game where he praised Michael Porter Jr. and said he's our starting small forward, he's going to work through it. Uh, you had a guy that seemed to do uh, a little bit less. It's almost like he, he got he worked smarter, not harder, in that game when Christian Brown is rolling, he just left him in. Didn't worry about his substitution patterns. Like it's going, just, just let him go. And what are you seeing from Malone, his evolution and the way that he's approached this from game one to game two, to game three, now coming into game four, both on the court and off the court where it seems like he's finally maybe taken his foot off the gas a little bit. And his team's responded very well to it. Well, we'll see what he, he brings tonight. uh, Just, just to that overall mentality. But I think you're seeing a pattern, right? Uh, you're, you're seeing a pattern of Malone doing what he needs to do to keep his team on track. And, and he's responding emotionally when he needs to or unemotionally when he needs to and learning how to push those buttons in a really high pressure situation. I think he's learned over the course of these past eight years that he's coached this team how many emotional cues they take from him. And because this team isn't in the media a ton, Malone is their voice a lot of the time, and, and that's what's been learned over the course of this past uh, eight years, and, and he's been willing to take that on, and he's been willing to kind of be the bellwether for what they need, and every single time when he has a, an emotional response, a fiery response, and, and wanting to get something out of them, he does get something out of them, and I think he's been great on that front. I think he he knows this team is, I mean, extremely intimately, of course, and like just knowing what they need at any given point to get them to play well. Uh, it's been really cool to see. It's been really cool to see uh, Malone really grow into that. It's not something. It's not a skill that I think he he had much publicized publicized about. So it's been really cool. And and also like the substitution patterns, as you mentioned. I have no issues with them. I, I feel like he knows exactly what the team, like, and what his rotation is. He's got the eight guys that he really trusts. Broke out Reggie Jackson last night for foul trouble purposes for KCP, but mostly he's just going to go with the eight guys that he knows, and uh, those guys have, like, they've delivered every single time that they needed him to. I don't think anybody, including Malone's critics, have uh, any beef with how he's handled his personnel in these playoffs. Uh and the emotional uh, response after game two, uh, again, only was noticeable in the context of his uh, responding after game one with almost equal vehemence after a win, which made no sense to anybody. And 
I think it's interesting that Michael Malone on Tuesday and Wednesday after the game said word for word the same things that his critics are saying on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday before the game uh, about his reaction, not only to game two, but to game one. How can you say after winning an NBA Finals game that your team didn't play well? I think that wasn't taken well by the players. In fact, I have a pretty good idea. As a matter of fact, it was taken very badly. And I think somebody got them alone because he did something after Wednesday night's game I've never heard him do. He went back and relitigated his comments from game two and took blame himself. In eight years, I've never heard him do that. And he did it the other night. I think somebody got to him. And I think the team takes its psychological cues now from Nikola Jokic. Uh, Michael Malone is uh, good enough with X's and O's, but even Jamal Murray said the other night, this has at no point been an X's and O's series. We play by feel. And I think less is more. I think somebody got to him between games and told him that. And if you want to instruct, that's fine. But just yelling at the players, that's early years, Michael Malone, when all he did was threaten players uh, and didn't coach him. Now, he didn't have very good players to coach for those first two or three years, but that was what the Nuggets wanted to change about Michael Malone. And I think in this series, at least for a few days, he fell back into that trap of making it all about him. And I, I just, I, I commend him on everything that he did during and after the game the other night, but that was not the same guy we heard after game one. It wasn't. Well, it I'm, just I'm, wasn't. I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to disagree on that because I, I think that what he does is push the right buttons that the team needs. And I think he sensed the moment of weakness in that game one and guys missing rotations and could that, sense that this was going. But that's garbage, though. That's not even good analysis. I, I mean, come on. What what was it? If anything, it was a disrespectful sign toward the Miami Heat. Come on now. Does he, did he expect them to win by 20 points and was pissed off that they only won by 11? Really now? When, no, when during he, game he, one were they threatened in the fourth quarter? I mean, that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard a coach say, at least in the NBA Finals, after a win that we didn't play well. And then he doubled down on Saturday the day before the game. And I do think it had an impact on the way certain guys reacted. Jokic doesn't care. Jokic doesn't li- it, The three of us could coach Nikola Jokic, and he'd be fine. He'd play the same way. He doesn't need to be coached. But guys like Murray and maybe even Porter, listen, Porter's playing like garbage and Malone's cut his minutes. That's fine. But to to say after game one to Michael Porter and Jamal Murray, who played quite well in game one, forget about Jokic, that you didn't play very well, is it, it was it was nonsense. It was unnecessary. And I think the players have kind of taken the reins on that. Just listen, you you were there after game two. What did Nikola Jokic say? He said, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. They had won seven straight playoff games, and he's going off the deep end after one loss. They hadn't lost a home game since March. He's going off the deep end after one loss. Jokic had the right reaction, not Malone. And you're, you're going where George Steinbrenner used to go. 
George Steinbrenner would yell at the Yankees all the time, and because the Yankees were a good team, they'd respond by winning some games, and Steinbrenner would take credit for it. I don't think that that's the way that he was going. I don't think that that's, that's exactly the way that he was, what he was going, doing. Sandy. I, I think that what he could sense in game one was that they gave up a bunch of open shots that Miami did not hit. They didn't hit them because they were out of rhythm. They were desperation threes. It I disagree. And because they, they actually were less contested threes in game two, or they, they, they contested more of those shots in game two and the Miami heat hit them. And that's just what happens. I think they knew that this was a a very strong possibility for, for that game too, that there was going to be a letdown. And then lo and behold, there was a letdown, but, but like saying that Michael Malone, like didn't push the right buttons on or that they're taking cues from the players. Now I I just psychological cues. Well, uh, I think that they were did you think they played an anxious game the other night? I didn't. I thought it was the most relaxed game they played. Jokic said it, and you're not addressing that, I noticed. Jokic said sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Is he dead wrong? Does he not have a feeling for the team? Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. I think that Jokic's personality is, is honestly a little bit more independent and because he, he can go his own direction without the emotional cues of anybody else. and. Sometimes the players take their cues from him. Sometimes the players take their cues from the coach. And sometimes they take them from Murray, where, where Murray's a little bit more fiery, kind of like Malone in that case. Uh, but what I do think in general is that I think that Malone, he calmed down after that game too, Sandy. Just just being here and listening to him and understanding what He was what walking he, back because like, somebody yeah, got yeah, to, I, I, told him to calm but no, but, down. But Sandy, I, I, think, I think Ryan's right. But, but the end result is he did calm down. He calmed down. Yeah, every everything okay. you heard before. Game and George three, Steinbrenner calmed down after yeah, he yeah. yelled at the Yankees. Sometimes too. it doesn't matter how you get there. Right? He never he calms down. He's always angry. He's always on edge. The Nuggets don't need that. If if the Nuggets play a relaxed game without anxiety, without pressure imposed on them by their coach, they, they'll win enough games. I mean, I'm not saying you don't care or try to correct mistakes but lambasting your team that's his go-to move that's the only move he's and got worked, yeah, you know, and, and, yeah. worked. and and, and the bright side they're a good team well on the, on the bright side you know i know guys this uh this argument is a lot more fun when they're winning i can tell you that because the end the end result is they did come back they won game three they find themselves in a terrific position to win game four and basically all but close out this series tonight. We'll find out how they respond. We'll learn a lot about the Denver Nuggets. A new pickaxe uh, and roll is when, Ryan? Uh, probably tonight or, or tomorrow morning. Love it. Uh, you, you, if you're watching the game, you know, Night Owls, uh, that's, it's the podcast to turn to because uh, the game ends and Ryan goes and gets it right off the bat. So either in the a.m. tomorrow, by the way, my Broncos Blitz podcast with Cody Rourke will come out tomorrow morning as well or the pickaxe roll podcast tonight he is ryan blackburn nba blackburn is the handle on twitter our lead writer for mile high sports see we, we, we keep it all in the family like siblings we can uh, we can get into little slap fights here and there too totally normal it's not like it's all uh we don't have one group think right here every team every day uh ryan thanks so much for the time we're looking forward to talking to you next week uh, hopefully with the nuggets on the cusp of their first ever nba championship appreciate your time thanks guys good to hear from you all right, thanks, Ryan Blackburn, joining us. Uh, we will continue with that. The coaching discussion on how that can be approached 
uh, will be one to talk about with someone who's won, well, a whole bunch of games at the NBA level. Hall of Fame head coach George Carl joins us on Miley Sports next. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. We will be joined uh, momentarily by Coach George Carl to talk about tonight's game. The Nuggets, of course, find themselves in an enviable position and... Uh, it's been an it's been an intriguing series only three in because as as we talked about with Ryan Blackburn a little bit in a very spirited conversation between uh, Sandy and, and Ryan in that the the impact of Michael Malone is an interesting one at this point because at a certain extent and and, and I I think you have to give him this and we've talked about this Sandy you have too. Uh, he has altered the way in this playoff run. He has altered the way that he's handled of his game substitution. And, and quite he's frankly, been given credit he's, for that. He's done Full some credit. done so quite well. But there is also the the impact of what coaches uh, can do and what they can't do. Uh, we're joined now by uh, by Coach George Carl and uh, Coach, the host of Truth and Basketball podcast, with Sandy Clough. The new one, by the way, is out and available uh, right now. Coach, thanks so much. But before you came on, we were talking about the impact that Michael Malone has had, maybe both good and ill when you're talking about uh, getting on your team at the right time and, and finding a way to get ease off the gas. How do you determine when that is, especially if, for example, and I think we, we probably all agree here, you have the better team. You have the healthier team, the more talented team, the bigger team the better team. So how do you make sure that you're pushing the right buttons at the right time? And how do you make sure you're not going too easy or going too hard? Is it just a matter of familiarity or is there something more than that? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is guys that can get on their teams really hard are guys that have players or have leadership like Jokic and Tim Duncan and Larry Bird and and guys like that, you have a grace that you can go after your team more because those guys will take your words and put it in the locker room to where this is the, this is the truth. Uh, what you don't want is when you go off on a team and all of a sudden there's a, a separation. There's a posse of the good and the posse of the bad. And that's, that happens a lot when you go hard at your guys or you go after one guy and the team feels you're being unfair to him. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a careful thing. But I told Sandy this morning that I thought going after the guys really was powerful in game three because Jokic came out and said he's right. And he didn't go really emotional. He didn't make many comments about it. In fact, it was kind of a laissez-faire attitude about, you know, that's what coaches do. 
<laughs> there is a danger, but when you have a leader like Jokic, and I, I got to give Murray some credit too. Yep. When you when your two best players are, hey, he's right. And, you know, there's no dissent. Then it may, then it will turn out to be a positive. Yeah, but they said it, I, I think, in a different way. And I'm reading a lot about what Jokic said uh, after game two. And, of course, Jokic won't talk about it very much. But uh, I, I do think that uh, if he was, as has been suggested, imploring teammates to stay locked in and unrelenting, uh, that, that was a slightly calmer, more reasoned message. And my theory... Uh, just my opinion is the players responded more to that and Malone over the next couple of days did calm down a little bit and really uh, I I thought just clinically managed the game and and we talked about that today too uh, that if you were going to uh, look at game three and uh, talk about who handled the game better and who had a better feeling for the game, you might even argue that Malone was ahead of Spolstra in Game 3, which surprised me. I, I thought Spolstra got frozen a little bit in Game 3. I think from the first quarter to about middle of the third quarter, maybe even in the fourth quarter, his response to the two-man game I thought was slow. And and the other thing you got to remember about going after your team, you know, there are a lot... When you go after your team publicly, it can be different than what you do at halftime or what you do in a study the next day. Of course. I, you know, I, I think, don't get me wrong, I think after game two, I thought they deserved a calling out. But I was worried about why it wasn't on national TV. Mm-hmm. That was what I was worrying about. Right. And so just remember, there are different levels of calling teams out. You know, sometimes probably the worst, the most uh, difficult to read time is when you go at them at halftime. If they're playing really poor and you just knock them out and you shoot every one of them, sometimes sometimes they respond and sometimes they say, screw this, I'm not going to try to win this game tonight. So you got to understand there are different ways to call your team out and I thought Malone, as I said, doing it, doing it on national team was what I was worried about. But I agree that his team had a sporadic defensive performance in game two. No doubt. No doubt. And I, I, I just want to ask, as, as a follow-up to that, did it surprise you that Denver was, if anything, even with a historic uh, transcendent game played by Jokic and Murray on offense, that they seemed through much of the game, maybe even the entire game, more impressive still on the defensive end. They won that game because they defensively intimidated Miami. They took control of the game late in the second quarter. And then in the third quarter, not only did they have Jokic playing well and Murray, Christian Brown comes in off the bench with a, with a, a very good defensive effort, took a steal into a dunk, got some hustle points all over the game. And, they, you know, people think that offense is what dominates basketball games. The most intimidating thing about basketball is when you cannot score. 
when you know that whatever we do, we're not going to score. That is the most intimidating thing. And I thought the Nuggets had that for most of the second half, except for maybe the last four or five minutes. Now that they go into a, a situation again, it is all uncharted territory for this Denver Nuggets team to try to go ahead and win this game. It'd be two on the road. Uh, you will expect Miami's uh, best possible shot. They know they have to win this game. Uh, Sandy and I made the argument earlier that we sort of like that this game is in Miami. It might be a little uh, easier to keep your focus on the road. Have you found in those kind of situations, depending f- on the, the team that you've been coaching, that these games, knowing that you're going to be up for it, that sometimes the road focuses you in a way that uh, the home crowd might allow you to ease back a little bit. Especially when you have history of being a good road team. I mean, I think we all know some of the, the great players actually, I think, like playing on the road more than they like playing at home because of taking on the crowd and quieting the crowd. Uh, and Jokic, in a quiet way, is an assassin. Yep. Uh and and I, I know Jokic knows, I think he knows how valuable making winning tonight's game can make, make it, I, I hate to use the word easier, but make it very, very competitive for the Nuggets to be successful. Um, I just don't think Miami has enough strength, enough stardom, enough greatness to come back from a 3-1 lead against the right. team that I think everybody knows right now physically is more talented. Denver is physically more talented than Miami. Miami has gotten here because of their mental toughness and their their character and their culture and whatever. We want to label what Raleigh and Spolster has built down there. But for them to win tonight, in my mind, Jimmy Butler's got to be a star. I mean, he can't be a damn good player. He can't be a, a balanced player. I mean, in a way, you can say that Jimmy Butler has not had a very good series so far. I don't think he's had a bad series, but I don't think he's had a good series either. I want to ask you, speaking of not having good series, uh, focus on two of the five Nugget starters who have most definitely not had particularly good series. What? would you do as a coach, if anything, with respect to Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Michael Porter Jr.? Oh, I, you know, I, I think, I, I think I would whisper a little bit to Jokic and Murray and get their insights on it just to make them aware that, hey, early in the game, if you get them a wide open three, get them one. I thought I thought Murray did that in the second half of the game. They got Caldwell Pops, Pope some really good looks. Pope didn't make him, but I thought Murray was going out of his way trying to find him. And I don't know, you know, talking to me individually, I, I might sign my I might assign my assistants that job because I, I think sometimes when the the principal of the school talks to the students. He gets scared. He gets more intimidated. He's worried about what I did wrong. That's where if an assistant goes there, I think they can say the same thing you're going to say, but maybe in a softer tone. He is George Carl. Follow him on Twitter at CoachCarl22. And, of course, uh, make sure you check out Truth Plus Media, podcast on sports, leadership, and human performance. You can find him at truthplusmedia.com. 
uh, everywhere you'd like, Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube, you name it, and, of course, the Truth and Basketball podcast with Sandy, the latest up on Mile High Sports, as well as all of those other outlets. Coach, appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the Friday. Enjoy the game. And have a wonderful weekend. And uh, who knows, by the time we talk next week, the Denver Nuggets might be the world champions. Appreciate all the insight. Wow. That sounds good, guys. Sounds really good to me. It does. All right. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, Coach. All right. Thanks, Sandy. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, it is, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's starting to get real, Sandy, and we'll find out. We'll talk about this game and what we think will happen tonight. Close things out. We'll do that next on Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Denver Nuggets have an opportunity to claim game four tonight and take a 3-1 lead. Now, if they don't, obviously it's not the end of the world. It becomes a best of three series with games five and seven in Denver. But uh, at the risk of being a little callous about it, you kind of want to kick them when they're down. Now, this is a terrific oh, opportunity no, for the Denver Nuggets. No doubt. And again, it's an opportunity. It's not must win. It's all but must win for Miami. Again, the cliche, the only truly must win situation comes when you face elimination. And neither team faces elimination. Right. But hard to imagine for the reasons expressed over the last 45 minutes by our guests, hard to imagine that the Heat could overcome a 3-1 deficit. Yes, Hard to imagine. It's happened before. Uh, Miami's won in the series already in Denver, but Miami's issue is its home court now. They've lost three home games in a row in these playoffs. Champions don't generally lose three home games in a row during the course of a playoff run a playoff run that ends in a championship. Right. You don't see three-game home losing streaks very often with NBA champions. NHL Stanley Cup champions, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you do see them slip up at home. Yeah, because the, the margins in the state. Not the, the NBA, the Hockey, though. by its very nature, each of those games is sort of a 55-45. No, no matter how big the mismatch, it, that's just sort of the way it works in hockey. And so as a result, you, you run into those situations. But basketball... T- Tends to be different. There are more. There's more control over the outcome. The randomness that's, that's built into hockey, based on puck movement, the way it bounces around a board, the way it hits a stick on the way through. The randomness that's built into hockey doesn't exist the same way in basketball. Uh, Danny Bailey in the booth. Uh, look over and look at the text line. Some interaction there. What would you find? Yeah, we've got one here. I think the Heat legs are dead after the last two months trying to make it this far. The defense is the first to go when you're tired. Butler is beat at the defensive end. I'm not going to go that far, but I was surprised given that I think the clear focus in game three was to slow down Jamal Murray. And Jimmy Butler was going to be the guy that was sort of the the point of that. And he couldn't do it. He didn't do it. And... I definitely think he's tired. Uh, I don't think he's 
done, I think you're going to find out that Jimmy Butler still has something in the tank. Oh, no. We'll find out tonight. But I, I think what the texture is saying, though, is that in certain areas defensively, if you have tired legs, it's going to have an impact. It is. It's going to have an effect. No question. And on offense, it is. Because it's it's funny to me, and George and I were talking about this on the podcast earlier. Uh, we both noticed that, you know, they're they're not terribly anxious on switches to get Butler onto Jokic, and I wonder why. Because Jokic really isn't a shot blocker, but I don't know that Butler has the explosiveness to get past Jokic and elevate over him. And I, I don't know that Miami believes he has. Well, that. and Jokic and is not afraid. And they haven't out that. No, they haven't really gone for that. That's, that's a good point. And I, I think some of that is because, you know, Jokic is not afraid to use that size. And unless there is a window in which you're right, Butler can kind of get past Jokic, now he's going to have to battle with him body to body, and that'll just cause more now, wear and tear in, on Butler. In fairness, and this is a good move by the Nuggets and specifically by Malone, in this series, there have generally been two people converging on Butler in that instance. Not just Jokic, but there's someone who's also coming over, and the instinct that Butler has is somewhat similar to Jokic. Butler does think shot, but I think he can read the defense, and when he sees one guy coming and in position and a second guy on the way, his instinct is to pass. Mm -hmm. And the Nuggets are fine with that. Um, The points, if you're just looking at points in the last game for Butler, 28. The number I noticed, four assists and two turnovers. He wasn't involved as a passer. Now, two turnovers isn't a lot for a guy who played 40 minutes and handles the ball a fair amount, but four assists? Now, I know they were missing more shots, so a lot of his passes that were perfectly good passes don't go down as assists because the shot gets missed. Right. But I I just thought, you know, you give him the 28, especially if he has to take 24 shots to get the mm-hmm. 28. Yes. Oh, yeah. And you can live with that. Boy, four rebounds. And I'm, I'm looking on the Nuggets side, and I see – Christian Brown had four rebounds in 19 minutes. Jimmy Butler had four rebounds in 40 minutes. That does not compute in a way that's good for the Miami Heat. And that's why the Nuggets had a 58-33 edge on the boards. Yeah. And you say, I always look at offensive rebounds first, and the Nuggets had more of those. But on the defensive boards, Miami missed 58 shots and had 10 offensive rebounds. That's not good enough. You have to have more. You miss 58 shots, you better get 20 offensive rebounds, and not 10. That's that's one of those little secret things when you're talking about these playoff games and, and these finals games, and you're talking about the best teams in the league, it's the things that happen at the margins. And, and those are the margins that, for the most part in this series, the Nuggets are winning. The, the Heat took game two and, and deserved to. The, the Nuggets did not play a good game. The Heat shot the lights out from three. And they won by three points. There are 
not, there's been nothing in this series when you look at the margins of the game, whether it's offensive rebounding, whether it's uh, the way transition uh, points are occurring, whether it's a bunch of the little things that we, we track in stats but aren't necessarily the focus. And Denver is winning essentially all of them. Now, both teams, to their credit, one of the reasons this has been such an engaging and, and quite frankly, visually pleasing series is both of these teams take outstanding care of the basketball. These are not turnover pro team, prone teams. Right. Oh, they're clean game. Yeah. They're clean both games. Both of these teams are and very, very bo- good at ball Both teams, ball listen, uh, you know, if, if you see a 30 free throw attempt game, tap me on the shoulder because I haven't seen one. Uh, for the Nuggets, uh, there weren't any 30 free throw games by either the Lakers or the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals. Right. And here in the finals, there has not been a 30 free throw game. Uh, I don't know. No, they haven't even. I mean, they. I don't think. I barely I think. got to 20. The Nuggets in game the three. The Nuggets had, had 27. They had 27. Uh, so the Nuggets did and get the previous, close in the last they had game. 22. Right. Uh, in the previous. Uh, game and then they there. had 20 in game one, and Miami had two. Right. So it's come up a and little bit. And then it bit. was 22-19 for Denver. Denver's yep. had more free throws in every and 27, game. 27 19 in, in game three as Miami's con- right. know, tried to play, be right. more physical but, but and, and junk I'm up. I'm saying the game. you look, and tonight, do this look at offensive boards, look at free throw attempts, look at assists, and, and maybe assist to turnover ratio. Yep, I look at that one okay. a lot. Okay. Star points, and I'm talking about mm-hmm. Butler out of Bayou versus Jokic uh, and Murray. Murray Jokic or Jokic Murray. Yeah, however you want to. And whatever. pain points. Which was sixty to thirty-four in Game Three and in favor that of that has been a Denver edge. See that—that's where Denver's size, Sandy. When I look at this series, especially when you look at the way the Nuggets won Game Three by only hitting five threes and only one in the second half, the Nuggets aren't a bully ball team, but they're bigger and yeah. they're adept in the post, and there is no no counter for that. Wasn't there a point? You're watching a game. Miami doesn't have a counter You're for it. You're watching on Wednesday night. Wasn't there a point, certainly in the second half, wasn't there a point where you looked out there and say, I can't believe, even on TV where the differences are seemingly not as noticeable, didn't you look out there and say, I can't believe how small Miami is? Yeah. It's a I had that difference. sensation. It's a massive I looked, it's, it's massive. And there's no, there's no scheme around it. Denver leans into that. They have started to. They did so brilliantly in game three, ended up with a 15-point win. We will find out what happens tonight. A extraordinary opportunity for the Denver Nuggets priority game five coming back here in Denver. Thanks so much to Ryan Blackburn for joining us. NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Of course, uh, Joe, Coach George Carl, Hall of Fame coach George Carl joins us. Coach Carl 22 on Twitter. Turns out you can't say his name and Twitter handle simultaneously in one voice. So uh, you have to do that one at a time. It is a Friday and a, a entertaining it's an weekend. Theory. Yeah, it's funny. You think out for all these years, I would figure that out in radio. I can only say one thing at once. Have a wonderful, safe weekend. Enjoy your time. Enjoy the basketball. We're looking forward to breaking this all down on Monday. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth for making everything look and sound terrific. Most of all, thanks to you. However you ended up catching the show, whether it was on the radio, whether it was on the website, whether it was watching it, Uh, on the website, whether you were on the app. Thank you so much for the listening and the interacting. Appreciate every single one of it. Enjoy your weekend. We're back on Monday with more about the Denver Nuggets and the NBA Finals. But after the drive is next, for Sandy, I'm Sean. This is Mile High Sports.